Richard Leonard, you're an Australian Jesuit, you're an author, you're over here in Ireland to launch your book, Hatch, Match and Dispatch. But today I'm going to situate our conversation because you've done research on this. We've had a recent case here in Ireland where two young boys of 14 were convicted of murder of a 14-year-old girl. Now it appears that one of those boys' evidence came out that he had downloaded over 12,000 pornographic images onto his phone and it has raised a conversation in Ireland about pornography and young people. You've been doing research on this very topic. What are your findings? The first thing to say, Pat, is this is actually one of my areas because my doctorate is in the area of media and communications. So one of the areas that I've been looking at for many years now is the effect of uh, all sorts of media on education of kids in schools. And whether we like it or not, one of the most sobering things we have to confront now is pornography is such a big issue um, at every part of society and for every age group. But it's coming younger and younger and younger in terms of access for young people. Just a few facts to situate um, what might be a Christian response. The first thing I want to say is that I'm more than conscious that there are people who think the church's own um, moral credibility and voice on anything to do with sexuality these days is not to be attended to, not to be taken seriously. I understand that, but it doesn't mean that the sexual abuse crisis means we have nothing to offer about the best of humanity. So I just want to own that up front. There are people who would say, well, go and fix up your own backyard uh, on sexual abuse. And I, I get the challenge. But that doesn't mean we haven't got some very serious things to offer. So the context is that in 2018, we know Know that pornography is now the seventh most visited categories of, uh, of websites um, on the World Wide Web. And this means it's worth billions and billions of dollars, though most of it is free. And the reason that most of it's free is that they want people to get addicted. And once people get addicted, then they start paying for it. And so um, there's so much. You don't, you'd never have to pay for pornography, but they do because they, uh, they refine their interests. Also, because it is an addiction, studies have seemed to have shown that people need more and more, let's say, salacious forms of it verging onto violence. Well, there are those who would say Pornography is violence against women, but certainly more violent types, more hardcore porn, as it's called. There's no question that every bit of uh, evidence of people who are studying pornography seriously as, as an area will indicate that it's becoming more violent. It's becoming more degrading, particularly to women and men, for that matter. And people need more of it. It fulfills all the criteria of an addiction, that you need more drink, you need more gambling, you need whatever it is to satisfy yourself with the same is true of pornography. Um, the access is free and it's fully available and parental blocks aren't working pornographers are very clever and so you can put in all the appropriate well the words that you might suggest would be blocked by a family internet access gate but they'll get around all that there are websites for instance are pornographic websites that only use the names of flowers and they'll never get caught in any parental block so they're really clever it's a very sophisticated industry and we may not want to know about it but we have to because it is getting younger and younger and younger i can speak about australia because we have a survey about this we have three actually the average age for a child now to access pornography in australia is 10 that's the first time that they um, see pornography and we also know that means if that's the average that means we've got a lot of seven six and six seven eight nine ten year olds so there's a significant number under 
in fact, what this survey or these surveys have revealed to us is the major person who introduces a 10-year-old or a young child to pornography is their older sibling. And so it's 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old, older brothers particularly, but sometimes older sisters, who think it's funny. Actually, it's a crime. And we need to name that. If you show pornographic images and you're 16 or 17 years of age to your 10-year-old brother or sister, that's actually a crime. It's a very serious crime. Um, and you could go on a child protection register for having done that. So it's fairly confronting all of this area, but we have to know about it. The material, as we've said, is getting darker, it's getting more violent, and it's getting nastier. And there are some really sophisticated studies that are looking at um, the way that that is, because when you, as I say, if you're satisfied looking at this for you know a couple of years, then all of a sudden it has to go somewhere. It's like people who start out drinking beer and end up on really hard liquor, and it still doesn't satisfy them. So you know you can see all the parallels as we go. I don't want to get it out of perspective. It is a highly addictive behaviour. But it's one of many highly addictive behaviours. And right at the moment, they talk about the narcotics of modern living, that modern living for a lot of people, and especially young people, can be very, very difficult. And mental health is a huge issue in your country and mine. The biggest cause of um, death for young people under the age of 30 in Ireland and in Australia is suicide. So we've got real issues with mental health. Um, and as a result, people, adults, as long as, as much as kids, are turning to all sorts of things to try and dull the pain. And I just want to go through that list because there's about seven of them. There's alcohol, drugs, sex in general. So this is abusive forms of sexuality, um, technology, uh, gambling, work, shopping, and now pornography as a standalone one. Um, now, all of those can be good things in themselves. Well, pornography not, but all the other things, you know, gambling, work, technology, shopping, sex, drugs. These are potentially all on their own are all okay they can be used in a very appropriate ways but we all know they can turn on a dime they can completely start to rule somebody's life and pornography has now fulfilled all those criteria of being an official addiction and you don't have to take a priest a jesuit priest's word for that the place that studies addiction in the world is at the University of Illinois. It's the Illinois Center for the Study of Addictions. And a couple of years ago now, it um, put pornography down now as a standalone uh, addiction. And therefore, it fulfills all the requirements of obsessive compulsive disorder. And if people who are even listening now might think that, well, I wonder if I do have a problem with pornography, it's, it's like anything. If you want to test it at a very banal and basic level, stop just stop drinking, stop gambling, stop downloading pornography and see if you can do it. Because the grip of pornography, the grip of any addiction, is that it works against all the ability for us to choose. We're not free choosers. We're now doing compulsive choosing. And this is as true in um, pornography as it is in anything. You said something there that I want to ask you about. You said when we went through the list and pornography was there at the end. And you said, all of these can be good in themselves. And you said, but well, not pornography. No. Mm. In discourse, in sitcoms, in loads of things, even in discussions that I've heard on radio, there is somehow an underlying assumption that pornography, well, if it's not hardcore, it's not really wrong and people do it and it's a bit of fun or it's a bit of, I, you know... It, there's a discourse that thinks that there's nothing really that harmful about pornography, but if you get addicted to it and you go into the dark web stuff, though, that's not good. 
Yeah. It's just not that simple. And there are two throwaway lines that I like to challenge. The first is boys will be boys. And it is true that 70% of all download of pornography is male, but 30% and increasing is female. Um, so boys will be boys. And the second thing is, um, well, it doesn't hurt anyone. But that's rubbish. It does hurt people because there are all sorts of ways in, uh, uh, like, for instance, what does it say about uh, the context for a sexual relationship? What does it say about trust, fidelity, um, the role of intimacy? Plucked from all of this, it just becomes an act of animal desire. And I mean animal in the richest sense. I'm not saying it's animalistic, although some of it verges on it and some of it actually does involve animals. And that's right at one fetish end of it, I'd have to say. But things like even the malformation of uh, sexual desire and the normalisation of, of degradation, a lot of it's very violent now and also of power. Freud told us you can never have a discussion about sex without a discussion about power. And a lot of these pornographic stuff now is about subduing people. It can be true of gay pornography, it can be true of straight pornography, of groups, of people being subdued. And it's about the abuse of power. Now, I want anyone to come back and say that if you're a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old and you get into a diet of even taking fairly what wouldn't be described as dark web pornography, but just the normal stuff that's out there, that's a malformation about desire. And so we have a whole lot of young men who think that what women want is what they see women doing on the web, which they're paid to do. Many of them are drug affected. They've got other addictions as well. Now, some people, no doubt, are freely participating in it as a knowing adult. Okay. But in my absolute experience of uh, both knowing people who have been involved, people who have left the industry, and of knowing the context with this and reading the studies, a whole lot of people are in there to pay debts, a whole lot of people there to get money for their drug addictions. People aren't making very free decisions in pornographic in films. And it's a pretty insidious dark world, I'd have to say. And the way women are portrayed in it, they don't look like that. It's not the natural way that most women look. They're often portrayed that anything and everything that's done to them, they're happy about it. We just know that that's not right. But as you rightly said, it normalises fetishistic behaviour. Some dreadful things that most women wouldn't want at all. They're seen to want this and crave this and be, you know, be smiling and, and seem to be really enjoying it. So that can malform what young men think their girlfriends particularly might want, or that that's normal sexual behaviour. Now, again, I just own that, you know, as a celibate priest saying this sort of stuff, you're considered to be a wowser. Here I want to now turn the discussion and say, well, what is our response to it as Catholics, as Christians? I think the word for all of our approach to um, uh, sexuality is a positive thing. We're not wowsers. We're not against um, sexuality and people, um, you know, someone said that once the Catholic Church was the enemies of pleasure, and we're not. But we're saying that with every gift which sexuality is is a gift, comes the responsibility to bear it well. And as a result, the cornerstone of Catholic sexual ethics, as far as I can work out, is dignity. So is my dignity flourishing when I'm a sexual person and acting out sexually? Is the other person's um, sexuality flourishing? And are they going to be better for this encounter? Uh, are we walking away from this with fidelity and trust and faithfulness and love and dignity flourishing? That's what we want. And we do unashamedly say that's always best expressed in a married relationship where you can at least somewhat, or at least in theory, you can be assured 
short of some of those things. At least that's the way it should be. So it's not about what we're against, it's what we're for. And a whole lot of people who are involved in this in these films and in their propagation and in their dissemination, they're not remotely interested in people's dignity. They're interested in making money, getting people addicted, and they don't care about the malformation of desire, which is really what's going on here. So it's a tragedy at every, every level. And I think when it confronts us, like in young men who have been downloading lots of images at a very young age, we're not going to see less of this. We're going to see more. So we have to be able to talk to our young people about this in a really appropriate, age-specific, but transparent way that talks about where good desires can, uh, in fact, fill our human hearts and we can have better loving relationships as a result. I think the other thing that is of concern when we look at this is that it does portray an image of people, as you say, that is not real, it's not helpful, but it is also one, as you say, of domination. It's never to do with equality. Even the very act of shooting those films, the way women are asked to pose, the way the camera is used. So it really is a very serious disservice to who women are, and if the same is done to men, to who men are in their essence. And that's not to do with Catholic faith or any faith, that's to do with human dignity. It's about the abuse of power and the disordered power relationships that it enshrines. And we just know that it's just more and more becoming about violence. Violence and sex are so intimately linked in a lot of these films. There's nobody who is living in a normal situation in these films, and and that starts to normalise, really, um, inappropriate power relationships and only exacerbates what we already know, wrong power relationships in society. We have to challenge this and... I refuse to retreat from the field just because people say, well, the church's moral credibility is shot through because we have to be able to stand up, even in putting our own house in order in this room, in all the regards of child sexual abuse by clerics, we have to go back on in and help families form their young people with really healthy, appropriate sexual desires so that they will have very happy, healthy, intimate relationships of which sex is a constitutive and wonderful gift within it. Do you draw a distinction between erotica, books like Lady Chatterley's Lover that's created such a a furore, which is now regarded as a classic, I studied it at UCD, and pornography? Yes, there's a difference. It's all about context, it's about relationships, and different things spark different people. So for some people, like the Victorians, they used to cover up piano legs because some they thought that they could be an object of desire. So these things are highly socialised. I think it always is about the context, about the relationship, and about... Uh, what am I watching? Why am I watching it? Is anybody in this process being abused in any way possible, of any way, way or form? Now, it could be possible that you would tell a, a rape story in a very appropriate way. It could be confronting for the audience and there'd be some people who don't want to see it. But you could appropriately tell that story. The intention defines the moral act. So what's the writer trying to do? Is this a constitutive element of the story? Is it there performing another function and then we start to get the criteria i think of the difference between erotica which could be appropriate um and it can be um and that which is pornography not all erotica is pornography and not all pornography is erotica yeah and also very often there's neither plot nor sense nor anything else i mean it's pretty obvious very quickly what the maker of the film or whatever is doing because it's nothing to do with anything of any depth or significance other than that level of 
titillation appealing to very base instincts that are not helpful. That's true. And and that's why it plays out so strongly for adolescents. And then once you're hooked, you're hooked. Mm. So we have a major problem now with young men who are getting married who are demonstrating addictions to pornography and they take that into the marriage. And uh, so sometimes when the sex life of their with their partner in marriage is not what they expected, they can return to some very old habits. And we're starting to see pornography as being a um, one of the factors in the breakdown of marriage. So what you talked about what to do. There's something about education. There's a role for government, I presume. It's hard to place the net, as, as you've said, and the, the filters are not working great. And then you end up with people in addiction. Now, they, getting out of an addiction is not an easy thing. It's not a matter of saying, oh, I've just realised pornography is not good for you and it's really bad for the way we treat women. I mean, you're now addicted. This is, requires serious treatment. It's a clinical diagnosis and needs a clinical response for some people. I think we need to educate that it is an addiction, that it, it does hurt people because it hurts society, it hurts me, it, you know, if, if, if I'm the person downloading the pornography. And in the way that I look at people um, generally as sexual beings of instruments only for my sexual gratification, that's not a healthy way to look at fellow human beings. All that said, it is really difficult for governments because the web cannot be policed unless you're going to do what China does and then just try and completely police it. And even then, you create a whole dark web and a whole part of the web which is um, already, you know, you, you can't police. So it is about education. But there are groups like, um, there's a 12-step program called Sex and Love's Addicts Anonymous, SLA, Sex and love addicts anonymous and they're already attending to this they attend to women in you know people who have a problem with women in prostitution or men in prostitution for that matter people who have disordered attachments to children or desires about children so there are groups who are out there in the community 12-step programs that are just like they do for gamblers and alcoholics and narcotics anonymous so there is actually sex and love addicts anonymous and i know people that have found that very helpful but it has to be a systematic clinical response to a systematic and clinical problem do you know the way people can say, and it happens, lots of people drink, they never become alcoholic, like the alcohol in one sense isn't the problem. It's the ism that the, and the people who become addicted to it, because there's lots of people who can take a drink and leave it and enjoy it. Would you say that's the same with pornography or do the statistics show that people who watch pornography are much more likely to become addicted or are we saying that pornography in and of itself is never a good, like, say, a glass of wine or a pint of beer could be? I think it's of a different category. I think we have people who are given over to obsessive compulsive disorder and whom pornography becomes one of probably a few. We all know people who gave up alcohol and then became gamblerholics. They just transferred the obsessive compulsive desires over to another category. But I do think in this case, I think it's so normalised now, as you indicated before, in sitcoms, in films, that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Boys will be boys. It's all OK. That actually it's very hard for people to see that it's got a grip on them. We don't have lots of accurate figures on this that I'm aware of, but there is a, a working assumption in the area that a lot of young men especially would be just normally using pornography and they can't see that that would be any problem. And as I say, one of the easiest ways to work that out is to stop and to see whether you're in charge of your own desires 
or your desires have now taken hold of you. And that's not a bad criteria of trying to get a handle on to what degree is anything that could be changing my mood, altering my being, uh, making me look at the world in a different place, and indeed affecting my relationships with real people in real intimacy and in real encounter. That's a pretty good place to start. It's a basic one, but it's a pretty good place to start.